0: I feel like there is nothing any of us can say right now without being judged. Oh, poor Fox News lady. That's what you people do for a living. Jesus. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how i get down the stairs. To the left me, to the right Here I am stuck in the middle with you Yep yes, I'm From Pacifica Radio in, in Los Angeles This is the broadcast As heard on KPFK 90.7 FM People-powered radio in LA Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast 106.7 FM KSO In Cottage Grove in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 FM WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1, in Palinville, New York on 102.9 WLPP, in Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR, in Washington, D.C. on 105.5 FM And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We're also heard streaming coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Nicole Sandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Deprogrammed Radio, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week, making sense of our increasingly senseless world, or at least trying to five days a week over your public airwaves. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly, investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all around swell fellow, says me from BradBlog.com. Thank you for tuning in today. We are uh, following as we go to air here the uh, breaking news out of Spain where a white van jumped up onto a sidewalk, sped down a possessed pedestrian zone on Thursday in Barcelona's historic Las Ramblas district, swerving from side to side, plowing into tourists and residents, according to AP. Authorities said 12 people have been killed, 80 wounded, 15 of them seriously And what authorities are calling a terror attack, the Islamic State Group, or ISIS, or ISIL, or Daesh, has claimed responsibility for the attack, though they always do. The afternoon attack in the northeastern Spanish city was the country's deadliest attack since 2004, when al-Qaeda-inspired bombers killed 192 people in coordinated attacks, on Madrid's commuter trains. That story continues to unfold as we go to air today. Meanwhile, as to violence that the U.S. is inspiring around the world, hey, uh, Desi Doyen, I, I found a, uh, a thread, another thread of hope, a thread of hope here to pull on. Okay. Uh, at least to help me feel better that we may be able to avert an idiotic and massively deadly war with North Korea. Uh, yeah, remember that? Remember that's that's still ongoing. Yeah, that's (laughs) that's still going on.
1: Oh, you know, from nuclear war to civil war, what 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 fresh hell will bring today? That's
0: it, man. Uh, This week it was a stoking civil war. Last week, uh, as you say, nuclear war, that Donald Trump seemed to be stoking. Well, uh, there is this uh, from uh, from Steve Bannon. Now, uh, you may have heard about this, and I'm not covering this because of the palace intrigue that is involved here. I know a lot of people are today. But um, though there is some uh, palace intrigue, of course, with this, uh, Steve Bannon, uh, his White House colleagues, according to Axios, cannot believe what they were reading last night in The American Prospect. And apparently they say neither can Steve Bannon. Uh, The White House chief strategist told associates that he had never intended to do an interview with the editor at The American Prospect, which is a progressive publication. Bannon had told associates that he admired The author's stance, the uh, journalist Robert Kuttner, uh, his stance on China, and he called to discuss his uh, piece that Kuttner had written on this. Apparently, Bannon never thought that the journalist might take his very newsworthy comments and turn them into a story. It is Anthony Scaramucci all over again, minus the curse words reports Jonathan Swan at Axios, and the result is not good for Bannon, who's already under pressure with colleagues lined up against him and a president who agrees with him ideologically, but tells associates that he thinks Bannon is a leaker out of the White House, and that uh, seems to be threatening Steve Bannon's job there at the White House at this point. One of Bannon's colleagues, uh, who is, Axios says, not an enemy of his, Told Jonathan Swan at Axios that, uh, "quote Since Steve enjoys apparently enjoys casually undermining U.S. national security, I'll put this in terms he'll understand. This is DEFCON one level bad," is how he described it, and that, of course, is really on the political intrigue, the palace intrigue, on all of this and what this may mean for uh, for Steve Bannon. Among the things, the colleagues of Bannon's uh, were bothered by in this particular interview, uh, the fact that uh, the liberal journalist uh, Robert Kuttner was called by Bannon and Kuttner is no friend of Trump's. Kuttner notes in his article about Bannon's call kind of out of the blue to him. He says, I just published a column on how China was profiting from the U.S. North Korea nuclear brinksmanship, and it included some choice words about Donald Trump Uh, In Kim, Trump has met his match, Kuttner wrote. The risk of two arrogant fools blundering into a nuclear exchange is more serious than at any time since October 1962, Kuttner wrote. And then Bannon called him to tell him, hey, great story. That's kind of fun.
1: (laughs) Well, and he also said he's never spoken to to Bannon before ever.
0: Yeah, no, he had it was literally out of the blue. blue. Right. And now. So here's the part that I'm actually most interested in in this uh, in this interview, Bannon. uh, And by the way, and we're calling it an interview. uh, Bannon says, no, it wasn't. He didn't intend for this to be published, these comments to be published. But Bannon, you know, used to be the CEO of Breitbart, for Christ's sake. He knows how journalism works. He knows that if you wish something to be off the record, you need to say
1: explicitly
0: beforehand that this is off the record yeah so bannon apparently didn't do any of that in any case so during this conversation uh he completely undercut donald trump on north korea this quote from bannon um contrary to trump's threat of fire and fury bannon said quote there's no military solution to north korea's nuclear threats forget it until somebody solves the part of the equation that shows me that 10 million people in Seoul don't die in the first 30 minutes from conventional weapons, I don't know what you're talking about. There's no military solution here. They got us. Wow, that's from Steve Bannon. So, good news. Even inside the White House, they know that the saber rattling with North Korea is ridiculous. It's a non starter, it's going to result in uh, tens of thousands, millions of, of deaths. In uh, in South Korea, in Seoul, our uh, our good ally here. So they know that there's really no military solution and that what Donald Trump has been saying over the past week about fire and fury and locked and loaded is really, in truth, nothing but posturing. They know that inside the White House. That's the good news. The bad news. Well, now Trump may have to prove that he wasn't just posturing
1: Um, Oh, you're saying it might push Trump into saying, uh, oh, look, I wasn't wrong. I'm going to do this anyway. Yep.
0: And well, I and I didn't mean to spoil that good news coming in with the bad news (laughs) so quickly. So I hope that uh, Donald Trump knows better. I hope so. But, you know, why start now? Uh, Yesterday, uh, he did tweet uh, Kim Jong-un of North Korea made a very wise and well-reasoned decision The alternative would have been both catastrophic and unacceptable, even though all Kim did say was that he planned to wait to see what the ignorant Yankees were going to do. But Donald Trump took that as apparently capitulation from Kim. So fine. I'm good with that. That's that's right. He capitulated, Mr. President. You've won. You've outfoxed him. Well done. (laughs) Um. Nonetheless, we've got uh, an eye towards next week's planned joint military exercises with U.S. and uh, South Korea, which uh, North Korea sees as planning for war. Uh, but in any case, I, I will take it for now. They both blinked. So well, Donald Trump—he—he he saved us from Armageddon. That's what I wanted to say. Donald Trump is in our case hero. he's listening. That's right. Well <laughs> done, Mr. President. Um. So uh, there there were some other things that uh, bothered folks about uh, uh, Steve Bannon's uh, comments to uh, Kuttner in The American Prospect. Maybe we'll get to those uh, at another time. But I just wanted to point out that North Korea issue, um, because, in fact, now today, seemingly in response to that, um, AP notes uh, just a few minutes ago that America's diplomatic and defense chiefs sought Thursday to reinforce the threat of possible U.S. military action against North Korea after Trump's top strategist essentially called the commander-in-chief's warnings a bluff. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson stressed after security talks with close ally Japan on Thursday that the U.S. seeks a peaceful solution to the standoff with uh, over North Korea's nuclear weapons program, but he said a U.S.-led campaign of economic pressure and diplomacy needs to be backed by potentially military consequences. Washington is, quote, prepared militarily to respond if necessary, Tillerson said. Neither Tillerson nor Mattis responded directly to uh, Bannon's argument in that interview published on Wednesday that there is no military solution to the North Korean threat, but both cabinet members sought to rebut the claim by promising, hey, we'll still use our uh, military if we have to. So apparently that is what they have been sent out to do. Uh, so some good news there. We keep looking for the uh, bright side wherever we can in this uh, potentially disastrous standoff between these two idiotic world leaders, Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un. All right. Um, yeah, it, it, Changing uh, topics here for sort of. Uh, you uh, You either believe in free speech or you don't. Now inciting violence uh, is unlawful, uh, at least when it's, you know, someone other than the President of the United States doing it. But uh, yes, it is unlawful to incite violence. But exercising First Amendment free speech rights, um, that is that is not unlawful. The line between the two has admittedly become fuzzier in recent days, but the bedrock right of Americans to peaceably gather, To petition the government freely is something that I think all of us should fight to ensure. Yes, even when it is neo-Nazis and the KKK and white supremacists who are doing the gathering. So long as it's done peaceably. As it is said, it is easier to be in favor of free speech when you agree with it. Uh, but the First Amendment is there to ensure that unpopular free speech can still be exercised. So I ain't no fan of Nazis, but I am a fan of uh, of free speech, even free speech by Nazis, so long as they don't uh, incite violence. At the same time, opposition to that free speech which is also a form of free speech in and of itself, must be supported as well. And you have the, So you have the right to free speech, but you do not have a constitutional right to not be shouted down with more free speech in opposition. The First Amendment guarantees the government, the government, Not the people, but the government itself shall not infringe on your free speech rights. It doesn't keep private individuals from doing so. It seems to be something that people don't understand about the First Amendment. But again, uh, only peacefully. And uh, yes, like all constitutional rights, the First Amendment is not absolute. You can't yell fire in a crowded theater, famously. Uh, you can't uh, actively incite violence. You can't say, hey, go over there and kill that person. So, yes, there are allowable restrictions on the right. But generally speaking, the right to free political speech cannot be infringed by the government without a very compelling reason to do so. And I want to talk about that some uh, a little bit today in, in several unfolding stories this week and with our guest coming up momentarily uh, to discuss what I think is a clear violation by the government regarding free speech. Or at least this will be if a bill working its way through the Senate right now with some 50 senators signed on in support, both Republican and Democratic. If that bill makes its way to the president's desk when the senators ruined Congress returns from their uh, long summer vacation after Labor Day. Right, we've had a lot of speech this week about Charlottesville and the white supremacists' demonstrations there over the weekend. And the uh, and the conversation continues regarding the removal of Confederate statues around the nation. I think that's actually a very good thing, and I have no problem with those statues coming down, d- debate about it. Even though I have some problem, as I noted on yesterday's show, with the idea of destroying those statues... Um, I that's a as I've said before, I think that's a bit too Talibanish for my tastes. Uh, but what to do with those statues? That's another matter. Uh, in Baltimore, it seems that the mayor who took down the city's four Confederate statues overnight this week says they'll be moved to a uh, to a Confederate graveyard, and that sounds like a decent compromise. I got an email uh, to uh, Bradcast at Bradblog.com after yesterday's show from Stephen W with the subject line, What to do with Civil War Monuments? Uh, Stephen says, Brad, on yesterday's show, you briefly touched on this topic, but without really offering a solution. Years ago when visiting Hungary... My wife and I went to Memento Park in Budapest, he said, uh, where uh, the Hungarians had gathered up all of the Soviet-era statues and moved them to one place so they could remain on display as a reminder. He says, I would propose a solution along those lines for localities to consider. Well, that sounds like a reasonable idea, I think. Uh, I have some concerns about using public space and public resources for these sorts of things, but I think it's a worthy idea. It's worth debating. Uh, Feel free to drop me some email uh, if you have thoughts on this yourself. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. But this government, uh, this particular administration, which pretends to be so concerned about free speech, at least the free speech uh, by neo-Nazis when it comes to Donald Trump, they seem to have a completely different idea when it comes to free speech activities that concern protests against them, against the administration itself, at least according to a report this week from a uh, California-based Internet provider who says that the Department of Justice, the U.S. Department of Justice, is making a rather extraordinary demand against more than a million people who have been exercising their rights by using a perfectly legal website. The Department of Justice according to the Hill has requested information on visitors to a website used to organize protests against President Donald Trump. That according to the LA-based uh, Dreamhost, an internet service provider in a uh, in a blog post that they published this week, Dreamhost is a web hosting provider, and they said that it has been working with the Department of Justice for several months now on the request, which uh, they believe goes way too far under the Constitution. In their blog post on this, Dreamhost said that the administration is requesting information on disruptj20.org, a website that organized participants of political protests against the current United States administration. While we have no insight into the affidavit for the search warrant, they write, because those records are sealed so they don't know why the court approved this warrant, um, the DOJ has recently asked DreamHost to provide all information available to us about this website, uh, disruptj20.org about its owner, and more importantly, about its visitors, people who have visited DisruptJ20.org. If you go to DisruptJ20.org right now, I guess you will be part of this uh, this request by the Department of Justice for tons of personal information. Dreamhost claimed that uh, complying with that request from the Justice Department would amount to handing over roughly 1.3 million Visitor IP addresses to the government, in addition to contact information, email content, photos of thousands of visitors to the website, which was involved in organizing protests against Donald Trump on Inauguration Day. Uh, Dreamhost wrote in in their blog post this week that that information could be used to identify any individuals who use this site to exercise and express political speech protected under the Constitution's First Amendment. That, they say, should be enough to set alarm bells off in anyone's mind. Sets them off in my mind. Um, The company is uh, currently challenging that request from DOJ. A hearing on the matter uh, was scheduled for uh, for Friday uh, in Washington. Apparently it's been postponed until next week. But in essence, the uh, company's legal response reads, the search warrant that was given to them not only aims to identify the political dissidents of the current administration, but attempts to identify and understand what content each of these dissidents viewed on this website. That, according to the company's general counsel, um, in uh, in, in that legal argument opposing the request, the warrant issued by the Superior Court of the District of Columbia asked for records and information related to the website and its owner, information that could be used to identify subscribers of the website, including, quote, names, addresses, telephone numbers and other identifiers, email addresses, business information, the length of service, including start date, means and source of payment for these services, including any credit card or bank account information and information about domain name registration. This is, uh, in our opinion... A strong example of investigate, uh, investigatory overreach and a clear abuse of government authority, the provider said in their post. We intend to take whatever steps are necessary to support and shield these users from what is, in our view, a very unfocused search and an unlawful request for their personal information. So if there was, you know, specific people, and in fact, th- this is uh, the warrant is dated uh, July 12. Uh, It says authorities will seize any information constituting violations of D.C. code governing riots that involve individuals connected to the protest on Inauguration Day, where there were apparently more than 200 people were indicted on felony rioting charges in connection with protests in Washington on January 20, on Inauguration Day. So if there was, you know, specific information about specific people, if it was a narrow, tailored Request by the DOJ, that would be one thing, but they are asking. For uh, the information on 1.3 million people, just sort of people who may have randomly visited the website.
1: This is a huge, huge fishing expedition. That's That's what it seems. That that if they were able to get access to this information, can also inform data mining, deep data mining, where they can look into other databases, your credit card payments, your what other websites you visit, other associations that you have, say on Facebook, for example, and it creates a chilling effect because. As as people hear about this, they realize, oh, wait, they can access everything that I've looked at and they can then make choices about what they're going to do to me for my activism.
0: So this is, you know, and of course, the knee jerk response here is uh, look how uh, Trump is cracking down on free speech. And in fact, in this case, yes, it is Trump's Department of Justice you know, chilling free speech in a big way with this request for some information on 1.3 million Americans.
1: I mean, even if it gets struck down in court, Uh, it's still a chilling effect. It
0: is. and uh, But, you know, it's not just the uh, Trump administration who has made requests like this over the years. Um, and so I'm glad to see that Dreamhost is is standing up for these uh, users is trying to fight this uh, request. But it is definitely a, a chilling infringement on the right to free speech and makes you wonder what in fact is coming next from this particular Justice department. But unfortunately, it is not just the Trump administration uh, administration right now that is doing this. In fact, A bill currently working its way through the U.S. Senate and supported by both Republicans and Democrats goes uh, arguably even further, or at least it seems to when it comes to chilling free political speech in this country. And like I say, it's supported by both sides. It regards Israel and Palestine and It draws from a lesson that uh, many of us had thought we had already learned from the civil rights era. See how everything comes around in a circle? What goes around comes around. That story is next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's Bradblog.com slash donate and thanks.
2: Get up, stand up, stand up for your right. Yep. Get up.
1: Welcome back to the
0: Bradcast. Brad Friedman from BradBlog.com. I have been trying to get to this story for like the past week, uh, but for everything else going on, uh, sucking out all the oxygen out of the room, out of the world. In 1966. The NAACP of Claiborne County, Mississippi, launched a boycott of several white owned local businesses on the basis of racial discrimination, writes Anika Rehan in an article published by both Foreign Policy in Focus and at The Nation. She says it was so impactful that the local hardware store filed a lawsuit against the individuals and organizations who coordinated the boycott against them. After 10 long years of litigation, the Mississippi Supreme Court ruled in favor of the white businesses and ordered the NAACP to pay for all of their lost earnings over that time. Years later, in 1982, yes, our judicial system moves that slowly. In 1982, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled eight to nothing to overturn that lower court's decision on the basis that nonviolent boycotts are a form of free speech protected by the First Amendment. In announcing the unanimous decision, Justice John Paul Stevens wrote, One of the foundations of our society is the right of individuals to combine with other persons in pursuit of a common goal by lawful means. It's something, uh, to be frank, that you would think Republicans— at least Republicans, would be in favor of. They often, uh, they often call for boycotts themselves, but more to the point, consumers banding together to make free choices of what businesses to use or not use, what products to buy and not buy, uh, that would seem to be the very you know, basic expression of the free market that so-called conservatives so often claim that they believe in. Well, during a recent broadcast where we opened up the phone lines to listeners, one caller had uh, rang in to mention a bill that they explained was working its way through Congress to outlaw boycotts of products, specifically, in this case, products made in Israel or companies that do business with Israel, and in particular, businesses that operated out of occupied territories in Palestine. Now, I noted uh, in response to that caller that that sounded wildly unconstitutional. I'm not an attorney, and I hadn't yet read the bill, but it sounds just insanely unconstitutional. Surely the caller had either misunderstood the measure or had been the victim of fake news. Or some, something like that. Well, Ray Hahn over at The Nation reports that while that 1982 U.S. Uh, Supreme Court ruling should have put an end to the notion that boycotts can somehow be made illegal, that right is, in fact, once again under attack in what she describes as a vicious anti-boycott bill making its way through the U.S. Senate, which appears to target the Boycott, Divestment and Sanctions Movement, or the BDS Movement, which is an international movement calling on individuals, institutions, and governments to boycott Israel, uh, Israeli products until it ends its occupation of Palestinian lands. She writes, The proposed Israel Anti-Boycott Act would make it a felony, a felony for Americans to support BDS with a, uh, with a penalty of up to $1 million and 20 years in prison. More remarkably... Or perhaps not. I don't know. The bill is currently supported by nearly 50 U.S. senators, including members of both the Republican and Democratic parties in the Senate. Joining us now to explain what is going on here and how something so seemingly blatantly unconstitutional, frankly, no matter how you feel about Israel or about this particular movement, um, is uh, Anika Rehan. She is uh, part of the Next Leaders program at the Institute for Policy Studies. Her work has appeared in The Nation, Foreign Policy and Focus, Ms. Magazine, and many others. Prior to joining the Institute for Policy Studies, she was a member of Students for Justice in Palestine at George Washington University. Anika Rehan, welcome to the broadcast.
2: Thanks so much for having me, Brad. You uh, pretty much hit the nail on the head that this bill sounds completely unconstitutional.
0: It it. It certainly does, Uh, which, again, you know, I noted no matter how you may feel about this uh, particular action or about Israel, it just kind of blows my mind. And let me start here before we talk about the constitutionality. You report that this bill currently enjoys bipartisan support from uh, some 32 Republicans, 15 Democrats, including Democratic Minority Leader in the Senate Chuck Schumer, and supposed uh, constitutionalist Republicans like Ted Cruz of Texas. So, before we discuss the legalities or constitutionality here, uh, wh- what reasons are the supporters offering uh, d- d- to justify their support for this particular bill?
2: Well, um, the as you as you said, it's uh, both Republicans and Democrats, and leading Republicans and Democrats in both parties. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what they say is that this is a measure. Um, to protect a country that we, as the U.S., have friendly relations with um, from what they describe as anti-Semitic economic attacks. Um, But, of course, you know, I think it's a a long-standing tactic um, of the, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. right-wing Israelis to to conflate anti-Zionism or any kind of, really, criticism of Israel and its actions as anti-Semitism. And so I think that these senators... Uh, unfortunately, are kind of buying into that, you know, very successful um, but very damaging PR tactic.
0: Is this uh, the the uh, Israeli lobby, the, the the right wing of the uh, Israeli lobby, in any event, uh, trying to sell the idea that this is uh, really anti-Semitism in disguise? Are they the ones who are making the this uh, this argument to members of the U.S. Senate?
2: Yeah, um, APAC, the American Israeli Political Action Committee, is um, the largest Israeli lobbying. Um, Institution in the U.S. and it's one of the most powerful lobbies that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing is, it's not just the right wing. You know, it it enjoys support from both um, Democrats and Republicans. Mm-hmm. They give to both Democrats and Republicans, and they have built over time this very, very strong um, connection. And so, unfortunately, they re- you know they really have their foot in the door. And this bill was crafted by um, legislators and staffers at APAC. Many of actually many of the senators who have been called out um, rightly by their constituents for their support of this bill have indicated that they haven't even read it. Mm. You know, They weren't actually involved in writing it. So it definitely is the work of these lobbying um, organizations that are so strong and powerful and have Israel's... Interest at heart, and uh,
0: not American. And and what occurs to me in uh, even talking to you about the Seneca is that even if it was uh, uh, due to anti-Semitic forces, um, being anti-Semitic is also, I would think, a, uh, a essentially a free speech right in this country. Now I'm I'm Jewish. I'm myself. I'm not anti-Semitic, but uh, I I think people have that right to be if they wish. You report that the uh, the Israel anti boycott Act would function by amending an earlier law from 1979 which prohibits American citizens and corporations from complying with boycotts called for by foreign nations against US allies. Is the uh, well, is the BDS movement being run or organized by a foreign nation?
2: So it's not. Um, but you actually hit another really interesting point that I want to expand on. You're right that anti-Semitism, as vile as it is, is protected by the First Amendment. Obviously, if it doesn't include violence against Jewish individuals. Right. Um, and what's what's funny and really messed up about this bill is that if you decided to boycott Israel and you you know promoted to other people the boycott of the state of Israel because you hate Jews, mm-hmm. that's perfectly constitutional. Even if this bill passes, right. what this bill criminalizes is um, actions taken to the words they use are you know, uh, to further boycotts that are fostered or supported by international governmental organizations, and they specifically name the UN in this. Um, And so what it does, essentially, it takes this old um, Export Administration Act of 1979, which was created to discourage the Arab League boycott, Mm -hmm. um, which was supported by foreign nations, and expand that to include any boycott of the state of Israel specifically that is um, supported by the United Nations. You know, so it's it's this really convoluted way of of criminalizing people who take part in the BDS movement, but leaving out huge swaths of people who could um, potentially be boycotting Israel for real anti-Semitic reasons. Um, so it, it, it's completely political, and I think that's that's very clear.
0: The really. uh, so. the uh, UN uh, Human Rights Council in 2016 passed a resolution discouraging businesses from operating in Israeli settlements in the West Bank and East Jerusalem. Uh, does that does that a uh, count as the UN calling for a boycott of that? Well, let me l- l- answer that question first. Is are they calling for a boycott themselves, the UN?
2: So the UN, um, yeah. So they have this landmark, you know, 2016 um, resolution where they admit that you know Israel is committing um, war crimes in the occupied Palestinian territories, and they in- encourage you know countries and and um, companies. To be on the right side of history here, and to use you know whatever economic power they have to try and prevent these human rights abuses, which I think is a perfectly reasonable you know stance to take as the UN. What the UN has never done, really importantly, they've never come out in support of the BDS movement. You know, the the people, the architects of the BDS movement, are Palestinians, members of Palestinian civil society, and those people don't receive the support of the UN. Um, and so this bill tells the UN that it supports BDS when. The U.N. has never even admitted to that, you know, has never tried to do that. Mm-hmm. So um, what's really scary about it is that it tells, you know, it tells you whether you support BDS or not, no matter what your views are on Israel-Palestine, you know, whether you support a two-state solution or a one-state solution, as long as you don't do business with Israel, we're going to criminalize you, which is really problematic because, as, you know, a lot of Jews don't. A lot mm-hmm. of Jews have, you know, problems with the way that Israel is conducting itself, themse- conducting itself as a state and you know therefore don't buy products only made in settlements and maybe we'll still buy products made in israel proper but even that action is criminalized because of the really convoluted way that this bill is worded and the way that it equates the bds movement with the u.n
0: the aclu uh... sent a letter to uh... to lawmakers uh... not taking a position either way on the idea of boycotting israeli businesses or or uh, or, uh, frankly, uh, the businesses of other nations. But they say that the les- legislation is, quote, antithetical to free speech protections enshrined in the First Amendment, and they urge lawmakers to not support it. They say the bill, quote, would impose civil and criminal punishment, including jail time, to individuals solely because of their political beliefs about Israel and its policies, Uh, They go on to note that millions of Americans do not buy products from Israeli businesses, but only those who choose not to do so, for political reasons, only those would uh, be subject to penalties under the law. And they write, even though there are many others who engage in the very same behavior, in other words, not uh, purchase products from Israel, um, in short, the bill would punish businesses and individuals based solely on their point of view, the exact same behavior as anybody else, but if you have a reason for not buying from Israel, uh, th- this would criminalize that reason, essentially.
2: Yeah, essentially. I mean, that's what it is. So there are tons of people who go through their lives and just, for whatever reason, you know, don't happen to buy products made in Israel, and there's no problem with that. But the second that you say, you know, I'm doing this because I believe in XYZ, I believe in Palestinian human rights, that becomes a problem, which you're right, is completely criminalizing people for... Their political action um, and their commitment to living their values out in their lives. Um, luckily, the ACLU letter really has had a huge impact. Um, I mean, obviously, the ACLU is a very high-profile organization, so mm-hmm. for them to lift this up has been very impactful. Um, and actually, um, Senator Gillibrand from New York recently became the first senator to actually withdraw her sponsorship, which is a huge deal um, mm. because I don't, you know, that doesn't happen very frequently at all. And so, you know. These, these victories are, are happening and, and so many people now are aware of this bill and are fighting this bill whether it's because they support BDS or because they just support the First Amendment and their rights as Americans and all of that is because the ACLU has you know involved themselves in this fight so they've really done a good job
0: How, how can it be, uh, and I don't know if in your uh, reporting on this you've, you've had the chance to get statements uh, from guys like uh, Ted Cruz uh, you got these right-wing Republicans these so-called constitutionalists like Ted Cruz How could he possibly throw in on a measure like this when it seems so blatantly in violation of the of the First Amendment right to right to free speech? Uh, I mean, does does support for Israel simply trump everything else among these legislate legislators, even even our Constitution, even for the most so-called constitutionalist uh, lawmakers, guys like Ted Cruz?
2: Right. Um, I mean, essentially, yes, it does trump, you know, everything else for them. And that's because of the money and power that, you know, comes with AIPAC. Um, but I think what they would try to say is that it's a matter of, um, you know, U.S. foreign policy. And that's what the Export Administration Act does. You know, it takes it says you as an American citizen can't support the Arab League boycott because it undermines our foreign policy. Um, you know and like makes it this big national security issue when it's really a very individual choice how you spend your money and the political stances you take should be individual choices so that's why this act is tied to that old 1979 act because they knew if they just created an act that said you can't boycott israel that would be immediately struck down um, and so once again they try to make this intentionally confusing mm-hmm. at uh... you know intentionally vague and unclear because that way, you know, that way we don't know how it will be enforced. Maybe nobody will be, you know, arrested under this bill, but maybe a lot of people will be, you know. Um, and we, we won't know until it's passed and, be, you know, starts to be enforced. And um, I think that's why it's, why it's crafted that way, because that, you know, leaves a lot open to interpretation. Um, and more than that, it's scary. I mean, it's scary mm-hmm. for people who, you know, aren't willing to risk jail time or these enormous unreasonable fines. Um, and I think that's the other thing that it's meant to do, is it's it's supposed to chill, you know, the free speech um, of the BDS movement.
0: Yeah, I can't, I can't even imagine how you could enforce something like this. I mean, if I decide not to buy an Israeli product because I disagree with their policies, I could be uh, violating the law if it was enacted. And normally, you know, I might uh, have otherwise uh... just ignored something i mean bills are introduced all the time in the senate in the u-s house and they don't go anywhere but you have like like you reported almost fifty u-s senators Signed on to this thing, uh, surely there must be. Are there at least sort of right-leaning libertarian groups who are incensed by uh, by even this proposition? I would think, you know, the the, the Cato uh, Institute or the American Enterprise Institute that they would come out and say this is outrageously unconstitutional.
2: Right, uh, and they should, but they haven't yet. Um, really? Uh, well, yeah. Well, what's interesting uh, about it is well, so two things. One, uh, J Street, which is a you know, liberal Mm pro-Israel organization actually came out against this bill. Um, And they have long opposed BDS, but they realize that, you know, this bill is completely um, dismantling any difference between Israel and Israeli settlements um, in a way that, like, would criminalize the activity of lots of Jews, you know, who just want a two-state solution, Mm -hmm. um, and lots of kind of moderate people. Um, And the other thing that's interesting is, there's actually this phenomenon among uh, you know at the left called the um, Palestine exception to free speech, um, and it's such a big deal that you know there have been literal reports written just about this phenomenon, where groups like the Cato Institute, like um, AI, which naturally you would think should oppose things like this, mm-hmm. um, when it comes to Israel, they're just they're just silent, you mm-hmm. know, and they always have been, and so I wouldn't hold my breath that they would come out uh, in opposition of this, but yeah, I mean it. You know, completely violates all their values, and I agree that it definitely would be something if it was any other country, any other movement. I think it would definitely be something really high on their on their
0: radar. It's it's really kind of mind boggling, uh, to be frank. Uh, but J Street at least came out on the right side of this issue. That's good. I think they deserve credit at least for that. Uh, you argue, uh, however, that uh, this bill and the attempt to move this forward may actually be working against. Its supporters, uh, Anika Rehan, How so?
2: Well, I mean, a lot of people who've never heard of the BDS movement or have never thought of themselves as, you know, activists in in this movement are now uh, searching the term. Are now, you know, realizing kind of how insidious the um, Israeli lobbying wing is, and I think are you know are coming out and, and tweeting at and writing and calling and showing up at town halls to yell at their senators, which um, honestly just brings more people into the movement Mm. and creates very unlikely coalitions, you know, like people who never thought they would work with J Street are working with J Street. Um, and I think that that's very valuable to the BDS movement. And it definitely shows that the movement is working, you know, they're, Mm -hmm. I mean, they're scared. Um, there was no reason that you would, you know, put this much work into trying to pass this resolution if you thought the the boycott would just fail on its own. Mm. So, um, It's A, it's validating all the effort that BDS activists have already put in. It's telling Mm -hmm. them, yes, you know, what you're doing is working enough that we're scared. Um, And it's also definitely bringing a lot of new people into the fold who didn't think this was their issue um, and are now realizing that, you know, it has to be.
0: Uh, uh, Nika, I've got just a minute or so here. Uh, Quickly, what is the status on this bill at this time, we know there's almost 50 senators uh, currently signed on. It'll be interesting to see. I guess that uh, ACLU uh, letter came uh, w- was written uh, last month, mid-month, uh, amidst the, the health care brouhaha in the U.S. Senate, so maybe there'll still be time for some of these senators to uh, finally get around to reading the concerns of the ACLU and others and withdrawing their support here. But uh, do we know any uh, status on the bill at this time in the U.S. Senate? Has it been scheduled for uh, committee hearings or a floor vote, and has it been introduced in the House?
2: Uh, It has been introduced in the House, for sure. There's a very similar bill that has, um, I mean, hundreds of co-sponsors in the House. So uh, it's kind of at a similar stage there. Uh, It hasn't been scheduled for any committee hearings yet. It's still on the stage where people can add their names or withdraw their names um, as co-sponsors. And Gillibrand, like I said, has withdrawn her name, but, you know, three or four Republicans have put their names on in her place. Mm. So it's definitely still, like, very much um, a battlefield. And uh, the pressure is working, so I think that's what we need to do now, is keep the pressure up, keep this in the headlines. Um, and that's what I'm trying to, you know, what I was trying to do with that article, is just make sure that people don't forget about this, because yeah. it is such a, you know, it's a huge, it's a huge deal, um, and also it's definitely a slippery slope. If we start letting our civil liberties go... You know, just because Israel is the exception, when you know, where does that stop? So um, we're definitely still in a in a stage now where people can fight this actively by reaching out to their senators, their representatives, um, and I think I encourage people to do that because you know we don't know what will happen with this bill.
0: Has the uh, Trump administration taken a position on this one way or another yet?
2: Uh, not on a specific bill, but uh, I mean, you know, the pattern. If the pattern continues, um, Trump mm-hmm. is very, very pro-israel a really close friend of um, Netanyahu, who is losing mm-hmm. a lot of support in his own country and has kind of you know turned to trump as his savior so if that pattern continues then i imagine that the trump administration supports
0: it i would imagine that as well anika rehan uh, of the institute for policy studies you can find uh her article on this at both uh, foreign policy and focus and at the nation it's headlined nearly 50 senators want to make it a felony to boycott israel you can also follow uh anika on the twitters at Nik ray that's n-i-q-r-a-y and you can follow the institute for policy studies at ips underscore dc anika really enjoyed talking to you today uh please uh, stay in touch with us as this moves forward one way or another
2: yeah thanks so much for having me brent
0: you bet okay uh so many hypocrites. So little time. Uh, speaking of which, though, let's take a quick break here and we'll come back and uh, talk about Fox News. As long as we're talking about hypocrites. Yes, uh, something's going on at Fox News, I think, I feel like. We'll talk about that after this break. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your broadcast.
1: And thanks.
0: Well, they learned about Santa a long time ago. Little bunnies at Easter and pink unicorns. Tiny tooth fairies have lost their appeal. But they still think Fox News is real. <laughs> My parents think Fox News is real. Not my parents. Welcome back to, to the broadcast, Brad sustain. Friedman from Bradblog.com. Well, maybe they do a little bit. Uh, but no, My people uh, who listened to yesterday's show, my, uh, my dad called in. So you can tell he's not a Fox News listener. He was talking about how to properly or potentially use the 25th Amendment to remove Donald Trump from office. That's not a Fox News guy. Definitely like not. Uh, in any event, uh, welcome back to Bradcast Brad Friedman from bradblog.com something is going on at Fox News uh, It seems to me since Charlottesville over this uh, past week or so since since Trump seemed to side with racists racist white nationalists uh, over the past week in equating uh, you know, Nazis and uh, neo-Nazis and white nationalists. With those people who oppose Nazis and and white nationalists.
1: Some Nazis are good Nazis, I yeah, presume. Yeah, sort
0: of what is what he was saying. Well, he said uh, he did say there are very fine people on both sides in Charlottesville, and that would yeah. include. The neo-Nazis, I guess, who were chanting uh, Jews will not replace us and other things that I cannot even repeat on the air. But so I think that something's going on over the these past few months and then it's sort of coming to a head over the past week over at Fox News. I think their guilty conscience, the fact that they know they are full of. B.S. I, I think that's starting to, to get the better of them. At least there are signs of it. Yesterday, um, it was uh, Gianno Caldwell, a GOP strategist and occasional White House advisor, who we played that clip. He broke down on in, in tears.
1: You should point out he's an African-American.
0: Right. And he was uh, speaking on uh, Fox. He broke down. He was speaking on Fox, and he broke down in tears during a discussion of Charlottesville saying that he couldn't sleep all night after Trump's comments, equating neo-Nazis and white racists with the people who oppose them, and uh, and yet he had to come on and be the republic. It was a Democrat and a Republican who were uh, responding on this show that was ostensibly about Confederate monuments, but all they wanted to do was talk about how troubled they were by uh, by Trump's statement at this crazy press conference that he gave on uh, on Tuesday at Trump Tower. So that was Gianna Caldwell. You can look that show up if you want. We, You can download them all for free at bradblog.com. Uh, we played that. Uh, and and now this comes, um, Josh Marshall uh, pointed this one out. Uh, Fox News talking head Melissa Francis, I don't even know who she is, some you know chirpy blonde over on Fox, she breaks down into tears. Uh, over everyone on the uh, unite the right side of the Charlottesville march being judged, as uh, Josh describes it. Let's let's play this audio and we'll talk about it.
1: No one said equal,
2: and that's one of the places where this went off the rails. He never said equal blame. He
1: said there I were mean, very good no, people among the neo Nazi protesters. He did. Don't roll your eyes. He, he did say those words. He Melissa. didn't say
0: there were very good people among neo Nazi protesters. He said there were he very good people that. on I the other that. side. There are people that were opposed to It was clear what he was talking about. To, look,
2: at, look, can I tell you this? I am so uncomfortable having this conversation. And that's what this woman mm, said before right. this, because I know what's in my heart, and I know that I don't think anyone is different, better or worse based on the color of their skin. But I feel like there is
1: nothing any of us can say right now without being judged. You know, Melissa, there have been a lot of tears on our network and across the country and around the world. Um, We have people who are serving, as my father did. He came to visit. We took him to the Statue of Liberty for the first time in his life yesterday. (laughs) We cried together. It's a difficult place where we are, but it's not where we've been. It's where we are this is not 1950 we can do this it, we can have this conversation oh yes we can and it's okay if we cry having it but-
0: so you know this this woman uh nothing uh, anybody can say without being judged i think that you know all of these years of uh, supporting just right wing republican nonsense on this station is starting to wear on these people this notion that there's nothing that we can say without being judged fox news lady that's what you people do for a living that is what it you know the the news in fox news is a misnomer it's not fox news it's fox judgment channel
1: That's Fox propaganda channel.
0: Exactly. They don't do. I mean, they are the original fake news and that's what they do. They pass judgment. They pass judgment on Democrats and elected officials and people who aren't even elected officials, protesters who they hate. That's their stock in trade is passing judgment. And now. When people are passing judgment on them, when people are saying, hey, you guys have uh, helped all of this happen. You guys have fostered this environment that we're in. You guys have. I mean, if it weren't for Fox News, Donald Trump would not be president right now. They made Donald Trump. And yes, I think I don't know. Maybe I'm overreading it, but I think there's it's starting to wear on them, you know, in a year after they've had to. You know, they've lost most of their uh, uh, prime time with uh, Bill O'Reilly being tossed out and Roger Ailes being tossed out and Bill Shine and all of these people who were associated with uh, sexual harassment against women like that, like uh, Melissa Francis. I don't know that she was one of them, but I mean, there was a host of women at Fox News. Uh, who, who were, you know, a part of uh, this. So you add that to Donald Trump, to uh, someone being killed over the weekend by right-wingers, right-wingers who these guys have long supported on Fox News. I, I think it's starting to... Uh, to get the better of them. Am, am I off base?
1: No, I think the cracks are beginning to show. The stress of what they've been doing all these years, and I think that they've been doing it completely knowingly. I don't think any of them have really been true believers in much of the Fox News propaganda oh, I that think they, they propagate. I, th- I
0: think they believe themselves. I think they're they high on their own supply. They believe they mean supply. it when they say it. I, well, I think they're high on their own supply. I think they uh, talk to each other. They've built this little world, this little bubble, as many people uh, describe it. And they believe they are righteous and patriotic and uh, supporting America and doing the best thing for America. And then they see the consequences of their actions. I mean, you could not have a more Fox News president you know, than, than Donald Trump. And you also have a Fox News uh, Senate and a Fox News House. I mean, they own the system. They've got nothing to complain about anymore their policies their actions are now coming to pass and i believe they're seeing the results of that coming to pass and i believe they're noticing that hey maybe there's some problems here this is not working out so well yes maybe we are responsible for this mess that this country now finds itself in
1: the fruits of their labor they've been stoking racial resentment for for many many years and uh... this is you know you reap what you sow and unfortunately All of us are reaping what they have sown.
0: Yep. So feel bad about that, uh, Fox News lady? Sorry. I don't feel bad about it at all. I don't feel bad about the fact that you feel bad about it. I think you ought to notice what the hell it is that you people rot. Just my opinion. All right. The reaping will continue tomorrow. (laughs) My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Anika Rehan of the Institute for Policy Studies, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us here on the Bradcast. It is greatly appreciated. You can uh, drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com on the Facebooks and the Twitters, where we hope you'll find, follow, and share us worldwide. I am simply the BradBlog. And uh, if you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com or at iTunes. Where both places. We hope you'll uh, leave us a good comment when you do. Make it a little easier for everyone else in the world to find us. Uh, And also, uh, my thanks as ever to those who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us do what we try to do every day over your public airwaves. All right, that's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.